Before we get to today's Insurance Uncovered, we wanted to tell you about an opportunity from podcast sponsor Balto. Do your agents sometimes forget to say the right things on sales or claims calls? Maybe they overlook discovery questions that build trust with a potential policyholder, or missed collecting key information on a first notice of loss call. Well, with Balto, you can scale excellent insurance conversations to your agents at the push of a button. Balto rides along your agent's screens, listens to both sides of the conversation, and shows them the best things to say live on the call, instead of after the moment's lost. After just 14 weeks of using Balto, National General Insurance saw 16% higher conversions and 53-second lower handle times. Head over to balto.ai slash to get a free pair of Bose headphones for a demo. Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering accounting method concerns, how NAMIC is working with Congress to add clarity for insurers in the reconciliation bill. Plus, could cybersecurity reporting legislation pass this year? Why one congresswoman says inaction is not an option. And NAMICO has a new CEO. Get to know Jennifer Hamilton as she discusses some of the major issues confronting professional liability insurers today. But first, in Washington, members of Congress are considering competing proposals for cybersecurity reporting legislation. The renewed focus on this issue comes after a string of high-profile cyber attacks that shut down fuel pipelines and threatened mass transit systems in New York. Because the national security implications for these kinds of attacks is so profound, Congress is poised to pass increased funding for cybersecurity measures and issue new mandates to report breaches and ransom payments for companies that are deemed, quote, critical infrastructure, and that includes some insurers. A hearing of the House Committee on Homeland Security examined the increasing risk of cyber attacks on critical national infrastructure, Transportation Maritime Security Subcommittee Chairwoman Bonnie Watson-Coleman says doing nothing is not good enough. I want to be crystal clear. When it comes to transportation cybersecurity, inaction is not an option. When gas stops flowing due to a cyber attack, it doesn't just impact the pipeline owner. It means Americans struggle to fill up their tanks. If hackers succeed in bringing down a plane or derailing a train, it's not an airline or railroad that would pay the steepest price. Indeed, the real cost would be borne by the passengers injured or even killed. Simply put, when you own critical infrastructure, people's lives and livelihoods depend on your cybersecurity. Yet despite the stakes, most transportation operators currently have no obligation to meet even baseline cybersecurity standards. The expectation is that cyber incident reporting mandates will likely be included in a final National Defense Authorization Act before the end of the year. Well, going into this past weekend, Democrats plan to move quickly to hold a vote on both the $1.7 trillion reconciliation package and the bipartisan infrastructure legislation. 
of particular concern for the property casualty insurance industry were the accounting methods used in the corporate minimum tax in the reconciliation bill text. That text would cause insurers to rely on generally accepted accounting principles instead of statutory accounting principles used by the industry. NAMIC staff worked throughout the weekend with Democratic Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona and with the leadership in the House and Senate to seek important corrections in the tax section of the legislation. Because the property casualty insurance industry experiences periodic large catastrophic losses from hurricanes, earthquakes, and wildfires that result in a concurrent large number of high-dollar claims, the tax treatment for insurance companies is unique. So it's important that insurers retain the deductibility of their loss reserves, as well as the ability to carry back 100% of net operating losses for two years to meet the cyclical demands of policyholders. Ultimately, NAMIC believes Congress could fix this issue by adding definitional clarity to the, quote, applicable financial statement. The association believes a technical solution is well within reach that preserves the accounting system for insurers. Hertz has announced it plans to purchase 100,000 Tesla Model 3s by the end of 2022. Model 3s include the controversial full self-driving system. However, Tesla says it will only be enabled to paying safety-tested drivers. The reported $4.2 billion order would benefit greatly from the House Reconciliation Spending Bill that includes a 30% tax credit for, quote, qualified commercial electric vehicles. And according to the Wall Street Journal, quote, the credit could save Hertz $1.26 billion and make a Tesla almost as cheap for Hertz to buy as a Toyota Camry. Half of the Teslas that Hertz is adding to its rental fleet will be reserved for Uber drivers, many of whom can't afford to buy an electric car of their own. Starting this week, Uber drivers will be able to rent a Tesla from Hertz in select cities nationwide. The rentals are expected to cost about $300 per week and will include insurance and maintenance. There's another new CEO in town, and this time the newly selected executive is Jennifer Hamilton, who was recently appointed as the new president and CEO of Namico. On today's Unscripted, Neil Aldridge sits down with Jen as she discusses some of the major issues confronting professional liability insurers, including COVID-19 claims and cybersecurity. So joining me today on the podcast is Jennifer Hamilton, Namico's newly appointed president and CEO. Thanks for joining me today, Jen. Thank you so much, Neil. It's my pleasure. So you've been you've been with Namico since about 2016, mm-hmm. uh, and this may be the likely the first opportunity for some of our listeners to hear from you and kind of get to know you a little bit better. So first off, just tell us a little bit about your background before you came to Namico, and then about your history with Namico to this point. Sure. Well, I've spent over 15 years in professional liability, starting out after law school as coverage counsel in New York and working at insurance defense law firms. There, I defended insurers and coverage litigation involving directors and officers, EPL, financial institutions, and fidelity bonds. From there, I went in-house with Chubb, where I oversaw complex professional liability litigation involving architects and engineers, 
uh, corporate commercial real estate brokers and international real estate appraisal firms. As you noted, in 2016, I happily joined Namico as the Director of Claims, where I ran the claims department for all of Namico's product lines. In 2018, I was promoted to Vice President of the department and reported directly to the President of the company and Namico's board. And just recently, I was promoted to President and CEO. That's great. So uh, how were your grades in law school? Oh, they were wonderful. Uh, yeah, I think you guys have my transcripts <laughs> somewhere. Excellent. Yeah, that's what we want for sure. I've uh, burned them. Yeah, I know. No, it, it's, uh, it was one of those things that when you're in law school and in college, it's really important to you, and then nobody else really cares <laughs> right. after that, right? Uh, so, no, I'm just joking. But so in selecting you as CEO, the Namico board shared sort of their confidence in your strategic leadership and, and your broad experience and professional liability insurance and, and also of course, your relationship with Namico policyholders and business partners. So tell us a little bit about your vision for Namico, uh, what you see going forward, what are your priorities? Okay. Well, first and foremost, Namico is a service-based company whose mission is to provide exceptional coverage to Namic members and their affiliates. Um, because we don't want to compete with NAMIC members in the PNC industry, we focus our book of business mainly on ICPL, DNO, agency DNO, and broad form cyber coverage. My vision for NAMICO is to move forward with sustainable growth within those specific parameters while continuing to improve our claims and underwriting services and to continue our commitment in providing the best coverage the industry has to offer. Um, it's to this end, I will focus on continually up, updating our policy forms so we remain highly competitive. Additionally, we're in a fortunate position through our relationships with our surplus lines carriers where we can tailor our policies to cover the often very needs, varied needs of our um, mutual companies and policyholders. We're certainly not a one-size-fits-all company and um, we will continue to offer that flexibility in the future. Finally, I'd say our number one mission is service to our policyholders, and we will continue to engage in robust efforts to educate and train our staff uh, in both claims handling and underwriting. Our goal at Namico is to act in partnership with our policyholders from the issuance of the first policy to the final resolution of claims. Yeah, that's great. And, and claims, of course, is in the professional liability business is uh, kind of what drives the action. Um, we had a little uh, pandemic that's occurred. I heard about uh, it. Yeah, that have, <laughs> has resulted in a lot of uh, uh, potential lawsuits or actual lawsuits as it relates to business interruption coverage. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that has gotten a lot of attention in the industry and certainly a lot of attention to professional liability insurers. So talk about those issues. Where do you see Namico playing? What does the landscape look like? Kind of sure. what does litigation landscape look like on that issue? Well, I think we can all agree that what we've seen with the COVID pandemic, insurance-related or not, was unprecedented and something we weren't expecting. Um, so we, just like other carriers nationwide, needed to adapt quickly. And um, in March of April of 2020, we started receiving quite a few business interruption claims. Um, at first, we handled them individually. However, we realized we needed to quarantine them, if you will, into a separate category with a unique reserving protocol. Uh, we met with our actuaries to establish appropriate signal reserves when these cases were in their infancy. Um, and we had no idea at that time where the legal tide would turn. Fortunately, as we've seen, the majority of the judges nationwide 
understand that not only are BI policies not intended to cover pandemics, but the policy language itself, whether containing a virus exclusion or not, does not support coverage. Uh, what we've seen is that um, the, the courts have determined, rightly, we believe, that um, the coronavirus does not constitute direct physical loss, which is the language um, of, the, of the BI policies. I think going forward, the landscape we're seeing, and, and um, you know, if we're cautiously optimistic that, that judges will continue to determine that these policies are not implicated, um, there are some other areas we uh, initially had concerns about, uh, agents, E&O coverage, for example. We initially were worried that uh, they might be in the next wave of COVID claims, uh, where it may be alleged that an agent failed to procure pa pandemic coverage. Um, however, fortunately, we have not seen this play out. Um, we believe this is for a couple of reasons. Um, as the tide is moving toward ensure favorable judicial outcomes, it's becoming clear that coverage would not be afforded. Um, so it'd be very difficult for uh, someone to argue that they, an agent should have procured coverage that is otherwise not afforded. And um, secondly, this pandemic was unforeseen. So to require an agent to um, predict this and, and advise for that coverage um, uh, would, would be difficult to prove. Um, we've also seen um, a couple plaintiff's attorneys in our COVID claims threaten to bring actions against directors and officers uh, under the theory that they failed to settle a COVID BI claim. Again, uh, given the novel area of law for these types of claims, we're cautiously optimistic that these allegations don't have merit. Um, as director, a director or an officer's failure to settle shouldn't be deemed unreasonable in light of the uncertain legal environment especially since most jurisdictions have been ruling in favor of insureds. Yeah, it certainly is an interesting landscape out there. I share your optimism that, generally speaking, the trajectory has been positive for insurers. Obviously, probably won't win every case, but right. we'll, in those cases where insurers don't prevail, there probably is a different take on the language than is typically found. Uh, but generally speaking, it seems to be going in a good direction. Uh, the pandemic, of course, is almost the very definition of an uninsurable event in many right. ways. And so um, it will continue to play itself out for sure. So it, it, it has shifted a little bit, though, uh, in the, the scope of professional liability insurance for directors. What do you see mm -hmm. coming as a result of this? Do you see insurers changing the way they approach the pandemic or changing their coverage language or whatever the case might be? Well, we have seen that um, in, in terms of issuing policies. We've seen a lot, many more insurers offering the virus exclusion and providing that in, in, in their policy. Um, uh, but um, there are additional other COVID concerns that, um, that directors and officers may face uh, that, that, that we're considering. Um, I would say specifically the number one concern um, for, for directors and officers, especially for mutuals going forward, is um, employee protection in the workplace. That's something, um, you know, there are several questions. Are employees permitted um, to work from home? Are they supported? What does the return to the workplace work like? look like? Are there protections in place? Are employees required to be vaccinated? Um, these are important questions for directors and officers going forward. 
Um, fortunately, the CDC has offered guidelines for employers, and we've seen the ma majority of our insureds follow those. Yeah, it certainly is on the on the minds of whenever you go to one of a NAMIC meeting, the topic of you know, how you manage the employee base and in, in this set of circumstances is on everyone's mind. Um, and, and it appears it's going to be with us for a while yet um, and to, as we sort all these out. But certainly creates uh, new potential risk for insurers to sort through. Um, and also, you know, there's some new opportunities here too. Potentially I've been at one NAMIC meeting where we had a couple of members asking about the idea of insurers were beginning to think about how they might insure for some pandemic risk going forward. Um, maybe on a sublimit basis and, and those kinds of things. So, you know, it'll, it, this will take it some time to sort itself out for certain. So turn to another issue that is equally as uh, common and maybe uh, growing in certain ways is the whole issue of cyber and mm -hmm. cyber crime and ransomware and all of the various aspects of cyber-related uh, liability insurance. So talk a little bit about Namico's role here, what it offers, how you see this this area developing? Sure. Well, cybersecurity is certainly a growing area of concern, and I don't think it's leaving anytime soon, um, especially within the insurance industry with the amount of protected information that carriers have on their policyholders. Um, I think it was Robert Mueller that said um, there are only two types of companies, those that have been hacked and those that will be. Um, so given this uptick in cybersecurity concerns, I, I definitely consider that to be a fair statement. Uh, this is even more true in our current environment with COVID um, and so many employees working from home. Um, I think there's been a 400% increase reported by the FBI of cyber incidents, um, and it's about 4,000 per day. So um, I, I think what companies need to do and they need to pay attention to is to at least have an information security program that's commonly referred to an ISP. Um, a lot of uh, carriers include that in their enterprise risk management efforts. Um, so there, there are definitely things that, that insurers can do, but I think, you know, a, a primary um, um, protection that a carrier can have is to get broad form cyber coverage. And that is something that, that, that we offer, um, and it provides um, various types of coverage. I won't list them all, but um, property and, and crime coverages, damage theft, disruption to electronic uh, data. These are typically claims made and reported and duty to defend. Um, I know there's a lot with ransomware, and that's a, that's a contentious issue right now. Um, but I, I believe cyber insurance can be a valuable tool in the fight against ransomware and, uh, and other cyber threats. Um, and this, this risk can be spread among various companies through the insurance. And um, beyond the specific purpose in thwarting ransomware attacks, um, cyber insurance is valuable for other reasons because before the attack occurs, um, the insurance underwriting process raises a lot of awareness within the companies on what they need to look for. And just in filling out the applications and answering the questions, a lot of carriers can say, hey, do I have this uh, protection in place? Uh, do I need this? My premium might be lower if, if I do this. So, um, and that's something we offer. Namico has partnered with TMHCC to offer broad form, broad form cyber coverage. And we do include ransomware attacks in, in, in our coverage. 
Yeah, it's certainly another topic that comes up at every sort of NAMIC event and panel and any kind of education event has got some corner of it that talks about cyber issues and uh, it's some, I was talking with a member company CEO yesterday who had their own cyber event and was relaying their story of, of how they got the systems back online and, and all of the consternation that comes with it. Uh, unfortunately, it does appear as though everybody will have one of these experiences uh, once in their tenure uh, as a leader of an insurance company, and, and just being prepared for it is important. But it's one of those things where, unfortunately, you probably can only prepare so much until you actually go through it, right. and then you have to kind of learn the lessons the hard way. Um, but uh, good news is that there are options out there and, and coverage available and also some best practices to follow for insurers. So, well, Jen, listen, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we look forward to working with you uh, and, and as your new uh, president and CEO of Namico. As a reminder to the listeners, you have to be a NAMIC member to get NAMICO insurance. So those of you that are not members, you should be. Uh, but all of you that are, uh, obviously, you should look at NAMICO for your professional liability needs. And, and thanks again, Jen, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Neil. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and will join us again for our next episode on November 17th. And remember, if you have a topic you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to reach out to us via email. You can always find us at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.